I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening. On today's show, I'll speak with music director and conductor for the San Bernardino Symphony, Anthony Parther. Anthony is a film composer and conducts orchestras around the world with his home orchestra here in our region. He'll share how he became interested in classical music, it has something to do with roller coasters, and how that evolved into becoming a composer. He'll also talk about his Lawrence Welk connection and the San Bernardino Symphony's 2024 season. Here's my conversation with music director and conductor for the San Bernardino Symphony, Anthony Parnther. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to speak with you. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for having me. All right. So your parents immigrated to the United States and eventually settled in Virginia, which is where you grew up. I'm going to ask you, although I'm sure you've told the story a few times, but please share your story, why and how you fell into music and the Lawrence Welk connection. Growing up in the 80s in Virginia, the big thing that a lot of kids wanted to do was go to King's Dominion, which is very much like Six Flags. It's a Paramount Park, and it has lots of fun roller coasters. And the commercials would air all the time. And I remember hearing over the intercom by the time I was in middle school would all of the students in the Linkhorn Middle School Band report to the bus for their trip to King's Dominion. And about half of the class got up. This was like in math class. <laughs> and bound out the door with all of these strange-looking instrument cases. And, of course, everybody came back on Monday, and they talked about how much fun it was. So I figured that I could convince my parents to let me go to King's Dominion if it was a school trip. So this this became the plot line that I was going to play an instrument in the band, but the real gist of it was so that I could go and ride on the roller coasters. So I opened up the dictionary and I saw the accordion in the A section of the dictionary. <laughs> and it reminded me of Lawrence Welk, which I guess <laughs> would make me and anybody else who remembers good old Lawrence Welk. And my parents, for whatever reason, they loved watching the Lawrence Welk show. It came on Monday evenings. And, uh, and I thought it was so nerdy. So I turned over to the B section of the dictionary and found the bassoon. And I figured, you know what, I think this is my instrument, not realizing that the bassoon possibly is the only instrument nerdier than the accordion. <laughs> I love it. Well, just connecting on the Lawrence Welk thing, there is a dancer on there, Duncan very well-known dancer. He was the only black performer on the Lawrence Welk and was very popular. Do you remember him? Oh, yes. I remember specifically because he used to uh, he used to tap dance on the piano. <laughs> I remember a lot about the Lawrence Welk show, especially the Champagne Bubbles. Yes. Well, I have to say, because we're a PBS station, our number one show still is the Lawrence Welk show. People complain if it's not there on Sundays, Sunday night, so still very popular. So thanks for sharing that background on that. I want to talk about some of your early formative years. Did you have a mentor, an instructor that kind of guided your way into music? And share what instruments you play and why you play those now. I would say probably the most important person in my musical career would have been David Webb, who was, in fact, that very music director at Lancorn Middle School. He was also the assistant at the high school um, because he really was the person who gave me my start and encouraged me. And, uh, and I try to tell him that, but he doesn't believe me. He's actually still actively teaching all these years later. Nice. Uh, he's close to retirement now, but he's you know, a high school band director in Virginia. So 
the the interesting thing is that you know, of course, as a bassoon player, one and especially a bassoon player in the South, when you get to high school, um, a big part of the culture in small towns is football. And one thing that every Southern high school has is the marching band, you know, to go and perform at those football games. Right. But, uh, you know, I arrived at band camp for marching band. They said, oh, you can't play the bassoon in marching band. And they handed me a clarinet. So I actually had to learn the clarinet the week of marching band camp wow. <laughs> in order to participate. And then I realized that all of the friends that I had that were in band who had gone to King's Dominion all, all, in years past were all low brass players, meaning trombone, baritone, euphonium, and tuba. So I actually switched over to the tuba section my sophomore year of high school. And, uh, and then I realized in my junior year of high school that I wanted to play in the jazz band. And neither the tuba, nor the bassoon, nor the clarinet was played in jazz band, so I picked up the saxophone. Oh, my. And then my senior year of high school, I wanted to play in the, they call it an indoor drum line, which is a competitive activity where it's all percussion instruments. So I joined the indoor drum line, and I played the marimba. So I just kept collecting <laughs> instruments uh, until I eventually learned to play virtually all of them. Wow. I got to ask, did you ever make it to that amusement park as a band member? <laughs> All these years later, I still have not been to King's Dominion. <laughs> and I think I've gotten to an age now where I think I'm okay with that. Okay. <laughs> the thought of getting on a, on a roller coaster now seems a bit harrowing to me, but you know. Sure. Okay, so what encouraged you to put the instruments down and go into the conducting part? Well, you know what? It all begins, again, with uh, with high school marching band. You know, um, those summers in Virginia were very hot and humid. Mm. And uh, I noticed that out of this almost, you know, 200 kids out here running around on a, on a hot football field, blowing instruments and making formations, that there was one person who was not having to do any of that. And it was what we call the high school drum major, who was basically the student conductor of the band. Oh. And I was very fascinated mm. that this one person was waving their arms, but more importantly, that they did not have to march in the band. <laughs> so I wanted to stay in the band, but I wanted to be the drum major. So I figured that I would learn how to conduct in hopes of becoming the drum major. And also, you know, Quite frankly, they got to tell people what to do. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, good so, to know. So those two things seem pretty attractive to me. They used to give like this a month-long clinic where like every, I want to say like Wednesday evening, you came after school and you learned, you know, conducting basics. And then after that, you got to audition for drum major. And I auditioned my sophomore year, my junior year, and my senior year, and I never got it. Oh, my. <laughs> so... So I guess I overcompensated and became a professional conductor. I would add that I never put the instruments down. I'm still an active player. Nice. I'm very active, especially on the bassoon and contrabassoon, and, and I'm still recording bassoon for film and television shows today. All right, well, let me talk about your love of Star Wars and then the opportunity to go on to work with John Williams. Tell me a little bit of that. Well, I think a lot of uh, a lot of enterprising musicians were probably 
inspired by one of John Williams' legendary soundtracks at some point in their life and career, mm. whether it be Jurassic Park or Jaws or Indiana Jones or Star Wars. So, you know, one of my dreams was to have the opportunity to work with the maestro himself and perhaps get to record uh, one of those Star Wars movies. And, you know, after a lot of hard work and a very long journey in music, I did finally get the opportunity and, and, and have continued to play in John Williams' recording orchestra, most recently getting to play contrabassoon, which is the bassoon's bigger brother, an octave lower, um, on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, oh. which some people will note is on the short list for an Oscar this mm-hmm. year. So it is an Oscar-nominated score, and I think John Williams is now the most Oscar-nominated person living at the age of 92. Isn't that amazing? That is wonderful. Yes, that is. Let me just reintroduce my guest is San Bernardino Symphony Music Director and Conductor and Film Composer Anthony Parther. So I want to ask a little about your day job. I've heard in other interviews that you have a day job. Let's talk about it. And would you say your day job is doing the film composing? And when do you sleep based on how many different orchestras you are literally involved with? (laughs) Well, yes, Um, I would say my day job is working in film and television music. So each day I'm either conducting or a recording artist in the Hollywood studio. So you'll usually catch me at the scoring stage at Sony or Warner Brothers or sometimes Capitol or uh, at Fox you know, working on any number of uh, TV shows, animations, or movies. And it's a wonderful career. And then, of course, I'm the music director at the San Bernardino Symphony, but I spend about 30 weeks on the road guest conducting orchestras all over the world. I'm actually talking to you from Pittsburgh right now because I'm conducting the Pittsburgh Symphony (laughs) this weekend. And I just (laughs) left Baltimore Symphony just a couple days ago. So I spend a lot of time on the road, but there's nothing like coming back home to the Inland Empire, to my own orchestra, and sharing our music with San Bernardino and the surrounding areas. Lovely. Classical music at one time didn't seem as inviting to all people. It kind of felt stuffy or the tuxedos or the gowns and everything. But today, conductors like yourself are changing that scenario. Tell me about your approach to inviting all to participate in this music. Well, one of the things that I actually did away with when I became music director of the San Bernardino Symphony is I got rid of the gowns and tuxedos. And it's not that we wouldn't wear them again if the right occasion arose. But, you know, uh, a long time ago, uh, musicians had to wear tuxedos and so forth because they were servants. You know, (laughs) that was what the servants wore, especially during the Gilded Age to perform for, you know, these extraordinarily rich people. But, you know, this is music for everybody. And um, so we have a little bit more of a casual wear. We just have everybody sort of wearing a uniform black. That's a little on the dressy side. Uh But the audience is expected to come as they'd like to come. And sometimes you see people a little dressed up. And sometimes you see people dressed uh, very casually. But it's all about just gathering people together from all walks of life to experience this extraordinary music. Okay, so let's talk about this extraordinary season that you have coming up. And then I want to ask, before we talk about each of the shows, the preparation on your part, on the symphony's part, and 
preparing for each performance, it's not like you guys are with each other every day, but tell me about the week leading up or the days leading up to the performances with the San Bernardino Symphony at the California Theater. Yes. The interesting thing that people might not realize is how little rehearsal time we actually have. We will rehearse on Wednesday and we'll rehearse on Friday Mm. and do a show on Saturday. Our shows are always on Saturdays. This year, we've changed it up a little bit because most of our shows will be at three o'clock in the afternoon as opposed to at night. And we've done a lot of research on this subject and people of all ages would prefer to see concerts a little earlier in the day so that they can do, you know, they can go to dinner afterwards and so that they can bring their children with them. And and sometimes there are people of a certain age who don't like the risk of driving so late at night. You know, if we right. have a concert that gets out at 10 o'clock at night, that is not as attractive or alluring to a certain sects of the community. So we made some changes this year, and, and we're doing earlier concerts, and the early response has been tremendous. But yeah, we basically do four very intense rehearsals over two days Mm. before each concert. And it's not a lot of time to really master some of this really complex music that we present on each of our concert series. Okay, so let's talk about the first one this year. We'll be on March 2nd, and as you said, it'll be at 3 o'clock. Can you talk to me about the opening uh, for this season? Yes, we're really excited about this. We're celebrating the 100th anniversary of one of the most iconic works in the repertoire, and that's George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. It's just one of the most emblematic and famous works of the repertoire. It's a solo for piano and orchestra. For this concert, we'll actually do two performances. We'll do one at 3 o'clock and one at 7.30 p.m., and we're going to do this over at Valley College's auditorium. And, you know, in its original sort of manifestation, it was written for a small little jazz orchestra. And we're going to try to honor that. So we won't have a big, giant 80-piece orchestra for this. We'll have just a little over 50. And what we're doing is also very special because we're going to do the premiere of the newest edition. A bunch of scholars got together and made a a bunch of corrections and rebalances including uh, one of our board directors, Dr. Jessica Getman, who teaches over at Cal State San Bernardino. So we're really excited to premiere this brand new edition of Rhapsody in Blue. And we're going to have our friend David Kaplan, who teaches piano at UCLA, solo with us. Okay. You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We need to take a quick break, but when we return, I'll continue my conversation with music director and conductor Anthony Parthner. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. just joining us, my guest is among many things, including film composer and music director and conductor Anthony Parthner. So we're talking about this season. We just talked about Rhapsody in Blues, and it's a kind of an updated new version, and it's going to be performed at San Bernardino Valley College. What about Revolutionaries, which is performed in May? So Revolutionaries takes us back to the California Theater. This is a concert that requires a big orchestra, And we're actually going to give a world premiere. It'll be the first time that this new work 
will be performed, we're going to be premiering a work called the Morgante Concerto. And it is a concerto for violin and orchestra that will be played by Venezuelan violinist Samuel Vargas. And it's called the Morgante Concerto because it is in dedication to one of the great, at the time living, American conductors, Michael Morgan. And Michael Morgan is, you know, especially for me, has been a point of inspiration. He's one of the first black conductors to have an international conducting career. He got his start when he became the assistant conductor of the Chicago Symphony, which at that time was highly unusual to see a black conductor in such a prestigious post. Right. And he then served for many years as the music director of the Oakland Symphony up in the Bay Area. Right. And he was a guiding light to me and an inspiration, and later on in his life, a friend. And it is a, it's a tremendous honor to perform Andres Martin's new violin concerto, which is dedicated to him. And of course, we'll have some other wonderful works that people are very familiar with, such as selections from Beethoven's Fifth Symphony and music by Arturo Marquez, his Danzon Number no. 2, which will actually be conducted by our associate conductor. What about America the Beautiful in July? The America the Beautiful concert is a concept that I came up with a few years ago, I always wanted to produce a patriotic, you know, July the 4th inspired concert each year with fireworks, which is something that the San Bernardino Symphony had not done. This is our most attended concert. We had several thousand people last year. We do this outdoors mm. at the football field over at Valley College. And we have tables, which are right in front of the stage. And you can also have general admission where you can sit in camping chairs and blankets behind the tables covering the football field. Nice. It has just been a perfect night out in the community, enjoying, you know, perfect weather under the stars. And we always do selections from the American Songbook. This year, we're focusing on three classics, The Wizard of Oz, oh. Wicked, oh. and The Wiz. So oh, in, my in gosh. Our, How lovely. I know. In addition to our uh, our patriotic fanfare, a lot of the uh, music that we'll perform uh, will concentrate on this sort of Wizard of Oz theme through three different lenses. And then we will, as we have in the last couple years, we'll end with Tchaikovsky's celebrated 1812 Overture. Oh, lovely. We oh. end literally with a bang. Wow, yes. That is fabulous. That sounds like a fabulous night. And then this is jazz that we'll see in September. You know, we started our Chamber Series two seasons ago, and our inaugural artist for this is a piano virtuoso who I have really enjoyed working with by the name of Josh Nelson. And he was a huge hit, so we had to bring him back. And this time, we're focusing on the music of Ella Fitzgerald and Chet Baker, who are two very different kinds of jazz musicians, but they actually did collaborate on a number of occasions. That is definitely something you don't want to miss, and that's going to be at 3 o'clock p.m. over at Valley College. Okay, so you're doing a lot with Valley College and on our campus over here, which is where KVCR is housed as well. All right, I want to move on to Movies with the Maestro. I love this one. Tell me which movies might be presented. Well, Movies with the Maestro seems like an obvious thing that we should be doing. We've done it the last couple seasons. It's a huge hit with the crowd, And it's an opportunity for us to examine some of the greatest film and television scores that have ever been written. 
But what I've also added is works that I had a hand in making. Last year, I conducted, you know, the score to Avatar 2. So this year, we always have a Star Wars excerpt where we'll do a little bit of Star Wars music. Um, we're combining forces <laughs> with the choir at Cal State San Bernardino under the direction of Dr. Leslie Layton. And we're also going to do some music from Star Trek. Uh, in contrast, per our Trekkies request, we're definitely going to be exploring some of the exciting music from the Star Trek universe. Another movie that I had a great time working on last year was Transformers Rise of the Beast, hmm. uh, which was a huge hit with audiences internationally. So um, I will be presenting a world premiere of the suite from that. The music from the Ghostbusters arena. Oh, uh-huh. I conducted the score to Afterlife, and I just finished playing on the score for the newest Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. So uh, we're going to have some fun with Ghostbusters in addition to since we're so close to Halloween. <laughs> and will that show actually take place at the California Theater? That'll be on, on my birthday, October the 26th. I'm turning 21 yet again. It's <laughs> yeah. a miracle that's happening. <laughs> 21 and holding. 20, exactly. 21 plus tax. I love it. October the 26th at 3 o'clock p.m. Well, happy birthday on October 26th. And the last thing, a Christmas festival. Where will that be and what's it about? This is our annual Christmas festival. It's a wonderful way for us to wrap up the year. We'll have that at the California Theater. This will be a little bit more of a soulful Christmas this year. And also at the end of the concert, a new tradition is that we go through a number of the most well-known Christmas carols and sing that as an audience and as a community. And it's a, it's a real touching way to wrap up the year. So we're really looking forward to uh, presenting many of our holiday favorites over the California theater and getting everybody in the Christmas spirit on December the 14th, 3 o'clock p.m. Well, it sounds like a wonderful season. I'm going to ask you, this may be an odd question, but what's the greatest part of the performance? Is it the beginning when you're starting or is it the end when you've completed it? It's hard to say. I think one of my favorite parts, honestly, is at the end of the concert when I get to interact with the audience that's Mm. lingered around. We always have like a little... We have this thing called the afterglow, which goes on upstairs in the California room. And it's where I get an opportunity to interact with the audience, and they tell me what their favorite part of it was. Uh But I love seeing the difference that music makes when it brings so many people from throughout our neighborhood together. So possibly seeing, you know, all of those faces in the audience and seeing everybody uniting. Um, Because other than the DMV, uh, (laughs) there are very few other places where you see such a cross-section of, uh, of our, you know, of our city coming and, and county coming together. And that's rare. It's getting rarer and rarer. I think that's the first time the DMV has been compared to the symphony and <laughs> performance. Let me ask you, Anthony, where did you study? I studied, my undergraduate studies were at Northwestern University. I wanted to learn to play bassoon like those wonderful bassoon players in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And then after that, I was really fortunate enough to attend Yale University. Mm. And that's where I studied uh, orchestral conducting. Got it. 
as I finish my time with you, I want to ask you a couple more questions, but are there tasks or goals you'd like to tackle in your career? I know you're only 21, so you still have a long career to go. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but are there things you would like to try on that are lingering on the back of your mind? Well, the thing that's most important to me is continuing to grow the San Bernardino Symphony and find more ways that it can serve the community. If I had a secret dream, however, okay. um, one thing that I would note is that you know the California Theater, which is a cultural gem in the Inland Empire, is about to turn 100 years old. And that's something really important for us to commemorate. It is a converted movie palace. And it has served our community so beautifully. Yes. But in the back of my mind, I would love to see us invest in making sure that it can serve the community for the next 100 years. And that means going in and retooling some things, making the acoustics better for the orchestra, updating it so it can it can do ballet and opera and musical theater. And so that because I believe that San Bernardino really deserves a world class performing arts center. And we already have one. We just need to give it a little TLC. Yeah, I agree. I grew up in that theater as a high school student. I would spend my weekends there ushering because I'd love to see the Broadway shows and just be a part of it. So that theater brings great fond memories to me. Working in video games, you're reaching all ages with your music and composition. Tell me about this, the process in working. And is it any different when you're doing it for video games as you would be for a movie or anything else? You know, I read somewhere that the video game industry is now bigger than the movie industry. I mean, right. just we're talking billions and billions and billions of dollars. And some of these IPs, intellectual properties, uh, really invest a formidable amount of resources in music. So, you know, one of the games that I'm probably best known for working with is a game called League of Legends, which, believe it or not, has over 150 million active monthly players. 150 million people. That's as if half of the people in the United States are playing this video game. And, you know, so for years and years, I have recorded big orchestras and small orchestras in Los Angeles, and we've taken this music on tour to Korea and China and Spain and other such places. But it has a commanding presence throughout. You know, I'm of the age where you have to actually stand to play a video game. Remember Pac-Man and Galaga? <laughs> and, uh, you would hear the little 8-bit music. And, but, you know, times have yeah. changed. Yeah. The, the music is very sophisticated. And, uh, I mean, there's been times where we've recorded 100-piece choir and 100-piece orchestra for some really epic sounds uh, to go in these video games. It's been a wonderful musical opportunity for me over the years. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. It's been great speaking with you, and thank you for your goals and dreams for our city of San Bernardino. It's really been great. Thank you for having me. For more information about Anthony Parnther and the San Bernardino Symphony, visit us at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, check out our archives at kvcrnews.org lifestyles or listen to Lifestyles on the KVCR app. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go.
Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharina Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, and executive producer Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now. Yeah, the same